On today's show, we're going to talk about how social media is so addicting that one country is going to drastic measures to protect its children. And and last week, we talked about Beethoven's 10th symphony. Today, we're going to talk about another musical prodigy. We talk about a bionic pianist. Wow. And we're going to continue our series through the book of Romans. So stay tuned. This is Real Faith for Real Life, a podcast from Cascade Fellowship in Grand Rapids, Michigan. All right, well, welcome back to Real Faith for Real Life. We always like to talk about how faith intersects with our real life. So Mm -hmm. we talk a little bit about pop culture, about news. Today we're talking about TikTok. Tell me about TikTok in your life. (laughs) I know that you're a TikTok viewer. Viewer, yes. Yeah, okay. I I have posted like once, and then I deleted it. So I'm just a viewer. (laughs) And you're not on the platform I'm not, not yet. It's, uh, yeah. There's a reason why there are billions and billions, hundreds of, I forget the number, it's insane. Right. It's like the fastest growing platform ever. And uh, for good reason, it is super addictive. The algorithm is the smartest algorithm I've ever come across. <laughs> and the content, it learns very quickly what you like. And so for me, there's a lot of audio mixing, some photography, yeah. jokes and stuff. A little um, bit of everything, A little right? bit of cooking, even. Yeah, you know. right. So it knows me better than I know myself. <laughs> I didn't know I'd like to learn about cooking. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, and it just it feeds you these videos one after the other, and you just swipe up. And if you don't like it, you just swipe again. Yeah. It's just like one dopamine hit after the other, and it's super addictive. <laughs> and so now, the news story I came across this week is that there's a version of TikTok in China called something else I can't pronounce. Right. But, <laughs> but it's, it's originating in China. And uh, the government is realizing that it's so addictive, they're taking action to protect their children and everybody, really. Really. And so after a certain point, it hijacks the user's screen and makes them wait five seconds before they can scroll and get that dopamine hit. Okay. And it has messages like, put your phone down, (laughs) go to bed. Or there's work tomorrow. Wow. <laughs> Pretty strong messaging from uh, from the government, I suppose, huh? Yeah. And then, you know, certain ages are only allowed 40 minutes at a time okay. or only allowed to use it between 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. or yeah. certain days of the week. I also just found that people under 18 in China are banned from playing video games during the week, and they're just restricted to one hour on Fridays. Wow. So a lot of restrictions across the board because, man, they recognize social media right. can like suck up your entire life. Yeah, might make parenting a little bit easier for some people that way, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very true. So I don't know, it's something for us as Christians to think about. Like, yeah. man, if a country is recognizing the danger and the uh, harm caused, we should take that right. Uh, seriously too and maybe have some self-control i'm i'm preaching to it's like the pot calling the kettle black um but yeah i mean we should really take this seriously and evaluate how it's helping or hurting our lives yeah and i think we can start to see too like the the actual addiction that is happening with social media and Mm -hmm. think through how do we break that what what's the um you know how is this healthy or unhealthy in our lives too right and even like most addictions while it feels good in the moment it's like a sugar high right and uh, when you, when it's over, you realize, oh, man, I just wasted an entire afternoon. <laughs> right. Uh, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So we got another story that's really interesting this week, another music story. That's right. So last week we talked a little bit about uh, Beethoven's 10th symphony, right? AI helped uh, complete that last symphony that he created. And you found a really interesting and unique story about another 
pianist uh, living in, I think, Brazil. Is that right? Right. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about this? Another in uh, intersection of technology and music, yeah. this uh, Brazilian pianist was on his way to become one of the most celebrated uh, performers in all the world. <laughs> and uh, he ended up, long story short, with his fingers not able to move. They were atrophied. And this inventor 3D printed a neoprene sleeve that had steel bars on the back. It was kind of high-tech, low-tech. It was just a way to help his fingers rebound and spring up, um, give some strength to his fingers. And that brought him back the ability to play again. And Mm -hmm. you can can listen to him play with his bionic gloves. That's crazy. If you go to YouTube and search for 80-year-old classical pianist plays again thanks to bionic gloves. Now, the reason I brought up the story this week, though is the article said this, over the years, fate seemed to do all it could to stop him from playing the piano. <laughs> and it detailed, you know, as a child, he was diagnosed with focal dystonia, which caused muscle spasms. Okay, He learned to overcome that, was on his way to becoming really famous and a great pianist. But then he fell and hit his elbow on a rock, severing the Ouch. nerve that controls that hand. Yeah. Uh, Again, he learned to overcome this, but then in his 50s, he was mugged and hit over the head with a metal pipe. When he woke up in the hospital, he couldn't feel the right side of his body. And then finally, a surgery that was supposed to fix his hand actually completely did it in, and they also found a tumor on his left hand. I can see why they talked about fate in this article. Yeah, it feels (laughs) like this guy just had everything against him. Like the the universe did not want him to be a pianist. And that's kind of a good segue in today's topic. You know, Mm -hmm. these questions uh, maybe are questions you've asked before. Was he destined to just suffer all of that? Was there any escaping it? Does each one of us have a destiny? And, Mm -hmm. you know, how much control do we have over our course through life, our fate, so to speak? Great question. Yeah, philosophers have really wrestled with this for many, many years. And, of course, theologians do as well. They come down on different sides of the issue, evaluating what the Bible has to say. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Just a you know, light, easy, <laughs> easy stuff. Super easy discussion. <laughs> so we're going to turn to the Bible and uh, open God's Word and see what it has to say about this. Sounds great. All right, so let's dive into Romans. We are continuing through the book of Romans. This week we pick up in Romans 9 through 11. Mm-hmm. This is, um, understandably, it's a very notoriously difficult part of the book of Romans to understand. And even if you do understand it, often it's uh, it's hard to stomach sometimes, right? Yeah, it deals with this topic of predestination. Yeah. And um, for many people, this is a dirty word. I know when I grew up, in a Southern Baptist church, it was a dirty word. You know, Absolutely. I heard sermons about how it was all hogwash. <laughs> but I had friends who went to a Presbyterian church in town, mm. and they kept on presenting me with this doctrine over and over again. They were relentless. Yeah. And they had an answer to every question that I asked. And so as I looked over the biblical evidence for myself as a young person, mm-hmm. you know, my college years especially, I was just overwhelmed with the evidence and convinced by it. There was no denying it. Yeah. One of my favorite theologians had a similar experience, R.C. Sproul. Mm-hmm. As a seminary student, he kept a card on his desk that said, it is your duty to believe and to teach what the Bible teaches, not what you would like it to teach. That's good. So R.C. Sproul, he didn't like Romans 9, yeah. 
Um, it didn't sit well with him initially, but the sheer force of the Bible's evidence just compelled him to believe it, and not only that, to defend it and to teach it. Mm-hmm. That's the center of his life. Yeah. So we have some listeners today who um, are probably on the fence about predestination uh, or what the text here in Romans 9 says. We have some listeners, I'm sure, who are definitely against it, mm-hmm. others who are for it. What's, what's your message to, to those people? Uh, just this, give it a hearing, Yeah, you know, examine the evidence, and try your best to let God's Word speak for itself without the filter of any preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. But with all that said, I'm keeping in mind, this is a supercharged issue. It's very Absolutely. emotionally laden. So we want to tread carefully. And I find it really interesting, the Westminster Confession of Faith says specifically, the doctrine of this high mystery of predestination is to be handled with special prudence and care. So it acknowledges that it's a mystery, it's a mysterious thing, and that it's easy to misstate or push too yep. far or it can be offensive. So it's it's really important we handle it with care and prudence, and that's my goal for today. Good. And I think in this week's sermon, we, or you, not we, uh, <laughs> you looked at yep. Romans 9 and 10, you kind of preached through that quite a bit. So I don't think we're going to do that, rehash that, or re-talk about that in this podcast. So what are we going to talk about? Yeah, that's right. I would encourage people to look up that sermon. Romans 9 is one of the key texts that theologians point to when talking about predestination. So go to cascadefellowship.org and and check that out. Like you said, I don't want to re-preach that message here. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more we could talk about. Um, Just in a nutshell, though, if you don't get a chance to watch that sermon, in, in Romans 9, as Paul usually does, he's engaging in a diatribe. He's asking questions and answering his own questions. And as he also is fond of doing, he's quoting from the law and the prophets to show that his doctrine is based in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And after a bunch of complex reasoning, he comes to this simple conclusion, God has mercy on whoever God wants to have mercy. God is compassionate to whoever God wants to be compassionate to. Mm -hmm. And it's not based on how good or evil a person is or even knowing who will accept or who will have faith just based on his own character and his own mysterious divine purpose. So that's kind of predestination in a nutshell. And, you know, check out Romans 9 to see how it's anchored, even in the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. Um, Really interesting, but we won't talk about that here. Well, and we talked a little bit about growing up in Southern Baptist, and I know Mm in my religious background, we just kind of skipped over Romans 9. But it's not the only (laughs) scripture that talks about predestination. What are some other texts that that talk about this subject? My very favorite is from the Gospel of John, Mm -hmm. chapter 6, from Jesus' own lips. This is so powerful. Verse 37, all the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. And then verse 44, just a few verses down, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. And man, that's just really powerful. Uh, you can just pick apart every word in that. Let's start with um, John six forty four. No one can come to me unless the Father draws them. So, no one. That is a powerful thing if you if yeah. you stop and think about it. A universal negative statement. He. Jesus is saying absolutely no one can come to God unless something happens, unless he does something first. 
similarly, that other word can, no one can, right. can is a powerful word too. It indicates ability. Remember when you're in preschool and you ask the teacher, you know, can I go to the restroom? Right. She's like, I don't know, can you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> she wants you to say, may I go, yep. which indicates me I have permission to go. Yep. Well, this verse doesn't say may. It's not about permission. It's about ability. <laughs> it says no one can. No one has the ability to come to Jesus unless something else happens. So now we make it to that word unless. It just introduces um, an exception. Right. So apart from what this is going to say, apart from that exception, no one would ever come to Christ. <laughs> so what is that thing? It's drawing, drawing, unless the Father draws them. And draws an interesting word in Greek. Um, it's not like a gentle wooing, like, hey, come on over here. Um, but it's like translated drag yeah. in James 2, 6, dragging people into court. It's used in exter- uh, literature external to the Bible to mean drawing water from a well. Mm-hmm. The water doesn't have a lot of say. It just gets drawn <laughs> out, you know. Right. Uh, so it really means compelling by irresistible force. Uh-huh. You put all this together, and now you really think about John 46, 44. It's really, really powerful. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Just think about all those various pieces of the puzzle, and it's pretty compelling. Now you combine that with the other verse from John 6, all those who the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. And it makes almost, just within two verses, a pretty airtight case for predestination. All doesn't allow for exceptions. All that are drawn will come. The Father is the one, the subject doing the action, and uh, giving is that action. So you put all this together from John 6. It just means if you come to Jesus, it's because the Father drew you, gave him, gave you to him, and, uh, and he won't fail at that process. Right. So there's some, some other verses from John. We look at chapter 10, uh, verse 26 through 28 says, But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I gave them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Yeah, John is a rich well to draw from, to hear from Jesus himself about his sheep. Um, It teaches Jesus is a shepherd who has been given particular sheep. His sheep understand his voice. They have ears to hear and understand. Mm -hmm. Their hearts have been made alive, and he will take them all the way to the end of the journey, not losing any of them. And, of course, that's contrasted with the people who just don't understand and don't follow because they're not his sheep. I mean, that's what you just read. Right. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. Right. Earlier in John, uh, if you look at chapter 1, I think that's relevant too. In verse 12 and 13, uh, he says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the, he, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of a natural descent nor of human decision, or a, or a husband's will, but born of God. Yeah, more, more wisdom from the Gospel of John here. I love John chapter 1. It's like peeling back the curtain of heaven to look inside and see behind the scenes what God is up to. And what we learn in this particular uh, verse, uh, or two verses, is that if you receive Jesus, it's not ultimately because of a human decision, but it's because of God's decision. And maybe one last thing from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer. He says, Father, the hour has come. 
Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Now listen to this. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to who? To all those you have given him. So we can't read it backwards. A lot of people would just read like Western democracy, American logic into this, and they would state it this way. All who come to me, the father will give to me. But that's not what it says. It says the exact opposite. Those who the father gives... Those are the ones that come to the Son. <laughs> and we see this in action in Acts chapter 13. We see this very thing happen. So after Paul is preaching in Antioch, here's what we read, uh, Acts 13, 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Really interesting. Yeah. You know, again, don't read it backwards. It's not all who believed were appointed to eternal life. Yeah. No, the order is this. All who were appointed, those are the ones that believed. Mm. Uh, and, we, and it's similar in Acts chapter 16. We talk about Lydia coming to faith. It says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So God here is pictured as having... Uh, this distinct group of people that are elected, that are appointed for eternal life, and he's causing them to respond to the message and to believe and to, to use a big term, to be regenerate, to yeah. be alive on the inside. Um, predestination in a nutshell, right? Yeah. And it's not just John and Paul writing about it, but uh, the Apostle Peter, too. In First Peter 1, he says, "...to God's elect, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father," through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace, uh, be yours in abundance. Yeah, those whom the Father gives, those are the ones who come to the Son. And look how uh, comfortable Peter and the others are just saying elect, God's elect, who've been chosen. You know, it's just part of their way of thinking. But there are other texts that kind of preach or people would say teach against predestination. What's the most common there? The one I most often hear is John 3.16. Everybody knows John 3.16, (laughs) and it's a universal offer. You know, whoever puts their faith in Jesus will not perish, but have eternal life. And so that offer goes out to everybody, and that is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. But what the text does not say is who can respond, who can believe. For that... You have to look at the context, and you have to look no farther than a few verses away. This is part of a conversation with Nicodemus, and Jesus also tells Nicodemus that unless a person is born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God, much less enter into it. And Jesus says this process is mysterious. It's like the wind which blows wherever it pleases. Uh, So again, we have this distinction between who can respond and just the offer going out to all. Uh, And again, we talked a lot about John, so bring in even more context. Bring in the context of John 6 about, uh, you know, Jesus receiving those who the Father gives him. Bring in the context of John 10, which we already talked about. Um, You just can't ignore the context and take one verse and make it say what you want it to say. Right. That really brings us to one final point. Reading the Bible in its broadest context or systematically is really important. And I really think about the doctrines which R.C. Sproul kind of introduced me to Mm -hmm. Reformed theology on, and that is the doctrine of TULIP. So total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. 
Yeah, maybe we should do a series all about those at some point. They right. all deserve a whole, you know, 20, yeah. 30 minute discussion. <laughs> but I like to think of this, like, if you're new to Reformed theology or this way of thinking, you know, it just comes as a package deal. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the first one, total depravity, think about earlier in this series, we talked about Romans chapters one through three. And Paul had this devastating analysis of what the human condition is. We are dead in sin. We are helpless. Uh, We are totally depraved. And if that is true, then predestination is our only hope. God intervening is our only hope. So, you know, think about it like this. We do have free will to choose. Like I chose to have a pumpkin scone this morning, and that was an actual free choice I made. And I chose to have a pumpkin cold brew because I'm a glutton for punishment during pumpkin season. Uh, And John Calvin would agree. We have free will, he writes. Uh But that free will only chooses what you want. Hmm. I chose what I wanted. And to a certain extent, you, you can't help what you want, right? And so if we believe the Bible, man in his fallen state only has the ability to choose sinful choices. Mm-hmm. The only thing we in our natural state will want is evil and sin and rebellion. Righteousness is beyond our ability to want and therefore our ability to choose unless God intervenes and uh, regenerates us and brings us to life. Right. So if you get total depravity, the rest fall right into line. What about the second one, unconditional election? Well, listen to this week's sermon. Romans 9, <laughs> crystal clear. God doesn't elect based on whether we're good or bad. Right. Um, because, go back to point one, we're all bad. Right. <laughs> we're all bad, right? So if God elected us based on our goodness, uh, no one would get chosen, and it wouldn't be grace anymore. Yep. It wouldn't be predestination. It wouldn't be election. The Bible writers wouldn't have used that term. Yep. Next is L, limited atonement. We already covered that. John 17, Jesus has particular sheep. John 6, he was given them by the Father. Um, And if you just think about it logically, if the atonement were not limited, a.k.a. unlimited atonement, then everyone would be saved. There'd be no hell. There'd be no punishment. And just read the Bible. (laughs) It is mentioned on every other page uh, that everyone's destiny is not heaven. That's just not the case in Scripture. So atonement is not unlimited. Fourth is irresistible grace. God's Mm -hmm. work is effectual. It never fails. We saw that as well in John 6. All who the Father gives will come to Jesus. And then lastly, perseverance. God will finish what he started. He preserves the saints. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. And we saw that in Romans 8 last week. So, you know, just if you've been along for the journey studying Romans, Romans alone is enough to just establish most of these doctrines. Yeah. And like I said, if you really, really just understand the first one, logically the rest have to fall in line. That's good. Well, any last thoughts? We covered a lot today. We did. And I know it's deep. I know it's mysterious. And just want to encourage people that, um, yeah, to a certain extent, this doesn't make perfect sense to the limited human mind. That's right. But we have to come before God believing what he says more than what our culture tells us is mm-hmm. right, what our culture says God should be. Yeah. The way he reveals himself is the way he revealed himself. And it's across 2,000 years of writing and, you know, how many, 40 different authors. And they're all painting this same picture of God. Yeah. So I, that's why I was compelled by the evidence and, and chose to follow the evidence where it led. Yeah, absolutely. 
And one thing you mentioned in your message this week, too, at the very end was it's okay to embrace the mystery, too. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a bit of mystery here, and that's okay. Yeah, and it led Paul to worship. You read the end of Romans 11, and he just breaks forth in doxology. Yeah. Good theology should always lead us to doxology. Mm-hmm. It should always lead us to praising God. Yeah. Theology without doxology is just cold facts. <laughs> And doxology without theology is like, who knows what you're praising. Uh, But Paul combines the two, and they should always stay together. Mm. So if you read his words in Romans 11, you see it is because God's ways are unfathomable and so deep. It's precisely because of the mystery that he's moved to worship. Not to lose his faith or or question everything, but to worship. Man, that's good advice for us, too. When we come to the end of our logic's ability to understand that's an opportunity to worship. Really good. Well, thank you for listening or watching along today. If you haven't done so already, we encourage you to subscribe so that you get the latest episode every week. And we'll wrap up our series through Romans next week. That's crazy to think about. I know. Already. It's been a great series. We hope you've enjoyed it and benefited from it. And we'll see you next week. Mm